Hello, and welcome back to the Disney Necessities Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela. And I'm Katie. Today's episode is the second half of our Disney Renaissance Era two-parter. So if you have not already listened to part one, I really recommend pausing here and going back to catch up. We're going to continue talking about some of your favorite childhood movies. And as Michaela told us last week, Renaissance means rebirth, and that's exactly what this time period from 1989 to 1999 was for the Walt Disney Company. So we are going to start off part two with Pocahontas. Pocahontas came out in 1995, continuing Disney's trend at this time to release a new Disney movie every single year. The synopsis of this movie is, on the search for gold in the new world, John Smith and other explorers from England arrive in Jamestown, which is modern-day Virginia. There, John Smith falls in love with Pocahontas, who's the daughter of the Native American chief, and she is betrothed to Cocoam. Pocahontas teaches John Smith that there is more to the world than just achievement and prosperity. The two soon fall in love, but their relationship is in peril. When John Smith is wounded, Cocoam is killed, and battle is waged between the two groups. It's like if you think about like the true story of Pocahontas, like the real life Pocahontas, because there was one, it's just so sad, her story. Right. You know the I true re- story? Yes, absolutely. So if you are not familiar with the true story, um, Pocahontas and John Smith never were in love. Pocahontas was about 12 years old. She is famous for putting her head on top of John Smith when John Smith was about to be executed. This scene is um, reappears in the film itself. Um, in the movie, it's supposedly because she's in love with him and doesn't want him to die. And in real life, it's really she understood the value of his life, even though um, other people, especially the people in her tribe, did not. Unfortunately, because of this movie specifically, it has distorted the true story of Pocahontas because really after that time, um, she was brought to England where she was Americanized, baptized as a Christian. She fell in love, or we don't really know if it was falling in love. It probably was. It was married off to a man named John Rolfe and had a child with him. And she ultimately um, passed away at a very young age from uh, an illness. It's all very sad in just in context of her own story. And then when you consider, you know, further the true Native American story, this movie Pocahontas really tries to end on this happy note of harmony between the two groups, which unfortunately we know is not the truth. Um, This is something I was actually really blinded to. I feel uh, with this movie, I guess I had always always assumed, one, that this story was like historical fiction in a way. So I really did not know that Pocahontas and John Smith were true people, um, people that actually had lived. I had understood the concept of Native Americans. I just thought that this is a story that had been created for them. And it wasn't right. until I got to college and we started reading, we read from John Smith's narratives and his oh, wow. um, journals at that time. Yeah, just to kind of I had a professor that Native American studies was his main focus. So we would talk about this a lot, um, what the truth was in this situation. And I also had another teacher who was trying to make the comparison between Pocahontas and the movie Avatar with the James Cameron movie with the blue people. Yes, that's fair. Basically trying to say that Avatar, which I have not seen the movie Avatar, was trying to say that Avatar is the, like Pocahontas, but with blue people. And he played us the trailers for both movies so first he plays us the Avatar trailer, which I remember seeing in movie theaters, and then plays us the trailer for Pocahontas. And I had been in this camp of, all right, we can still love the Pocahontas movie because Disney was never actually trying to say that this was um, historical fact. Uh, again, we can view it as historical fiction. And then you watch the trailer and the trailer says 
something to the effect of witness the love story that changed America. And you're just like, no, wow. no, no, that is not okay at all. So that really did change my perspective. Um, one, well, change my perspective on how Disney wants this movie to be portrayed. Uh, however, I really do enjoy Pocahontas for what it is as um, the music is absolutely beautiful and the story itself I do really enjoy. And the animation is also pretty gorgeous. So like I said in our previous podcast before this one, Pocahontas was considered the A movie in comparison to The Lion King, which is considered the B movie. So everyone at the Disney Studios at the time wanted to win. Not the B movie, just A, B movie. (laughs) Yes. A, B, C, D, the letters, not the... Okay, I'm like, I don't think the B movie is a Disney movie. All right. (laughs) No, it's DreamWorks. So... Anyway, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was, uh, he was one of the higher ups in the company at the time, had told the entire studio that Pocahontas was going to be the better movie. So everyone wanted to work on Pocahontas and they really put all their hopes into putting all of the good people or the, who were considered to be better talented artists and musicians at the time were put onto this movie. So that meant that Alan Menken came back for this movie. He worked with Stephen Schwartz, who wrote the music for Wicked and for Pippin mm. on Broadway. He, and it was a great collaboration. Uh, Alan Menken won his seventh and eighth Oscars for Best Original Score and Best Original Song, Colors of the Wind. I think Colors of the Wind is one of Disney's best songs in general. I think it is my wow. probably third favorite Disney song because, of course, I have a list like that. So with Alan Menken winning his seventh and eighth Oscars, this is actually the last time that he won any Oscars in general. He's been nominated several times after that. However, he has actually won more Oscars than anyone else alive at this point. Really? Um, yes. So Walt Disney is the person who has won the most in general. He is obviously no longer with us. And Alan Menken continues to hold the ring for most for any living person. Interesting. So... We all know that The Lion King ended up being a better movie released the year before. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Who would have known? Even though Pocahontas did gross $346.1 million worldwide, that was still seen as a disappointment because The Lion King a year earlier had grossed nearly twice as much and the company was kind of hoping to stay on this high, which did not happen at this point. Critically, it received many mixed reviews for many saying things that I've already echoed about it being animated beautifully, but a lot saying that the plot and the characters were misguided or generic and dishonest and unfunny, among other things. I've heard (laughs) the argument before about the fact that the sidekicks just don't make sense, because here we have Pocahontas has Grandmother Willow, who is this magical tree that is now talking to her, (laughs) and suddenly John Smith can speak English, but then Pocahontas and John Smith have their sidekicks, Percy the dog, and then Flit and Miko, who are the raccoon and the hummingbird, and they can't speak. And you would think in a movie that's supposed to be a little bit more mystical has these characters that can speak um, or sing. So that's just always been something that I have heard as being a complaint against this movie. I really do find myself enamored with this plot. I taking out the historical part aside, I really enjoy watching the fact that John Smith and Pocahontas' love story isn't just this love at first sight kind of situation. I do think that it is a little bit more realistic in the fact that all these other Disney princess movies, they meet love, fall in love at first sight, and suddenly they're married by the end of the movie. But this movie ends on the standstill of of Pocahontas is staying in, in... Pocahontas is staying in Virginia and John Smith is going back to England and nothing is happening there. And even though there are a lot of historical inaccuracies, of course, with this movie, there are still some pretty 
obvious and accurate historical facts. So the opening song, The Virginia Company, talks about the Virginia Company who were sailors and explorers from England coming to make money. And there's a line about the fact that they're going to America for glory, God, and gold, which are the exact words yes. that my global teacher said were <laughs> the reasons why we came to America. The song, Down My, out. My, Mine. Yes, Mr. Zeronkowitz, hope you're doing well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the villain song, Mine, 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 which is what uh, Governor Radcliffe sings. And Governor Radcliffe is the person who led the expedition, um, at least this point, at least. He mentions different explorers like Pizarro. So they, it, it really is, does have some truth. I'm not saying that any of it at all is entirely truthful, but I remember thinking, oh, well, th this is definitely true. And I actually quoted this movie on my Global Regents. Of course you did. <laughs> of course I did. I quoted it in my uh, DBQ essay that we had to do. The fact that you can remember that <laughs> far back is one, amazing, and I two, know. I'm just not surprised. <laughs> I know. What I think makes this movie particularly stunning is the color palette. It always makes this movie look as if they're at sunset. The colors the of the wind, the Michaela. Exactly. The pinks and the blues, the purples, the lavenders, I think it is absolutely gorgeous. So let's talk about Pocahontas in the park. So as much as I may love this movie, it clearly was not that well-received, <laughs> um, or at least they had a hard time figuring out how to put this into the parks. Because I agree, it really is difficult. So can Disneyland. I, mm -hmm. Can I just chime in? What I do remember is in Magic Kingdom being on the train. And at one point when you're, whatever, you're traversing around Magic Kingdom, you go through a bunch of trees and the train either stopped or we slowed down and we could hear Pocahontas and like faint colors of the wind. And we were able to see teepees and different signs of Pocahontas having been there. But I can't remember. I mean, obviously it was long ago that I haven't been on the train in years because it's been down, but I do remember that, and I have no recollection of any other Pocahontas at any point, <laughs> at any time in the parks. <laughs> but so I'm happy to hear more about it. Great. So Disneyland from 1995 to 1997 had the Spirit of Pocahontas, which was a half-hour musical show. This seems to be the running theme with most of these the movies that came out during this time that they would just shoehorn in some sort of musical show, musical review of all the songs. Mickey and the Magical Map Show, which unfortunately closed in 2020, did feature Pocahontas prominently. And then we hop over to Disney World, which did and still in some way does have Pocahontas references. So Animal Kingdom from the time that it opened in 1998 to 2008 in the Camp Mini Mickey section of the park, which is now modern day Pandora, featured the Pocahontas and her forest friends show. Pocahontas and a puppet of Grandmother Willow, as well as a brand new tree named Sprig, taught the audience about the beauty of nature with a host of animals. So Camp Minnie Mickey actually lasted for a few years longer than this show did. What I was told by cast members from the park that I worked with who did actually work at the show, that at some point they just realized that one, no one knew who Pocahontas was, and two, it was just a lot to keep up with the little animals that had to be a part of the show. So they turned it into stroller parking, and it just was the... <laughs> Uh, a, a really big banner with Grandmother Willow's face there and strollers. Oh, and you would be in charge of working that stroller parking area. I think that would be just kind of like offsetting to see, oh, Pocahontas's grandmother tree over here? All right. Yeah. Hollywood Studios had the Spirit of Pocahontas show at the Backlot Theater from 1995 to 1996, same as the one that was in Disneyland. 
And they still have in the Fanta in Fantasmic, which um, in a normal world would continue to play every single night. They do have a very prominent section with Pocahontas in it, which the first time I saw um, first time I saw Fantasmic was 2018, so about three years ago, and I was shocked at how big of a section Pocahontas has. John Smith comes out and is coming around on like an Indiana Jones rope. You have the Native oh. American stingers that are going around. It's this, and Governor Radcliffe just shows up. And what I have discovered is because Fantasmic came out in Hollywood Studios or at the time Disney MGM Studios, pretty much at the same time as, uh, pretty much at the same time as the movie came out, they're trying to promote it. And the show just really has not been updated or upgraded since then. So it continues to live on there. Wow. Disneyland Paris from 1996 to 1999 at the Frontierland Theater had a Pocahontas spectacular. What I find really interesting about this is that it was as if it were like the Indiana Jones stunt show at Hollywood Studios with audience involvement. And the audience was watching how stunts in the movie would be made if the movie was made in live action, although the movie is clearly animated. Oh. I have to go and find a video of how this will work. It just seems so interesting to me. Now, the controversy of this movie still sticks with many fans of the historical basis of it. You can be the judge of whether or not you think that this movie is relevant or yeah, whether or not you think that this movie continues to be ha or have any relevance. Katie, I don't know what you have to say about this. So I don't have much, but in first grade, my childhood room bedding was Pocahontas themed. No way! <laughs> and I went to a birthday party at a classmate's house, and her bedroom, uh, I guess, bedding was the same as mine. And we bonded, and we were friends for a very long time. So I really had no clue about this because when I was a newborn. So I'm just imagining <laughs> my, my Winnie the Pooh bedding in my crib next yep. to your Pocahontas bedding. Mm -hmm. I know we had it kind of like where we kept all of our old bedding for, you know, just in your linen cabinet or closet. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up donating it to an animal rescue. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. We, Very we helped sweet. out. Thanks, Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pocahontas and her forest friends. <laughs> so after Pocahontas, the next movie that Walt Disney Animation Studios released was The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1996. Now, forewarning, this is my Every favorite <laughs> Disney movie of Gear all up. time. <laughs> so, I am going to be extremely biased in the way I talk <laughs> about this movie. I'm just letting you all know. I'm hoping that my love for this film will make you also love this film. <laughs> I'm going to warn you also that this is a very complicated plot. It is based off of Victor Hugo's novel, The Same Name, which I did try to read one year, and it is about 800 to 900 pages. The <laughs> entire first chapter focuses on literally one stone in the cathedral, and that is just not the type of book that I want to read, so I stopped. So the movie does try its best to, one, make it family-friendly, because this book is not a family-friendly movie or book, and two, to make it a little bit more simple. With that being said, I find it absolutely wild that Disney chose to make a movie based off of this book, and you'll soon see why. So the movie starts off with us being introduced to Judge Claude Frollo, who wants to, in quote from the movie, purge the world of vice and, vice and sin. 
which he sees as manifested in the gypsies. He chases down a gypsy family, ultimately causes a woman's death, and the Archdeacon of the Notre Dame Cathedral charges him with raising the gypsy's deformed son, Quasimodo, which we learn means half-formed. Quasimodo grows up in the bell tower because Claude Frollo does not want anyone to know that he exists. Quasimodo longs to experience the real world, if only for a day. His only friends are the gargoyles, who may or may not be figments of his imagination. Oh. He ends up in involved in the Festival of Fools, where he falls in love with Esmeralda, who is a gypsy. She is quickly accused of witchcraft, and Quasimodo's physical deformities are made known to the city, who now view him as a monster and want him gone. We also are introduced to Captain Phoebus, who is returning from the war. He also falls in love with Esmeralda, except this time it is a mutual love. Esmeralda is also in love with him. However, Frollo tasks Phoebus in aiding his, him in his goal of ridding the world of gypsies. So Phoebus is sent on this journey to find Esmeralda. We also have Frollo, who is lusting after Esmeralda. So we have oh. this, these three what men. triangle. Exactly. These three men manifesting their love in different ways. And ultimately, it is Quasimodo who saves the day by ridding Paris of Frollo. He is eventually accepted by the community, or at least the small community that we see at the end of the movie. I hope that did a good job at summing it up. <laughs> this movie so. gross. Okay, good. Have you seen this movie before? I have, but definitely not to the extent that you have. Um, and I don't believe I've seen it in recent memory. Okay. The first time I remember watching this movie, in my recollection, was in ninth grade. And it was in our cabinet. I had alphabetized all of our DVDs, as one does. And sticking out <laughs> towards the front was the Hunchback of Notre Dame DVD and then the Hunchback of Notre Dame 2. And I was on this kick of watching every single Disney movie. And I knew I had this very clear memory of going through all of our VHSs when I was really young and finding the movie and thinking that it was somehow related to the Gargoyles TV show that our brothers watched. It's not in any way, but thinking that it was and just not wanting to watch it. So anyway, decided to watch this movie and ended up watching it at least once every day for about two straight weeks, like a little kid does when they discover a movie that they really like. I mean, I was obsessed, still am. So we have two opposing quotes that I... Do have a link to in the show notes. One is from the Daily Ter Telegraph, which gave a positive review saying it is thrillingly dramatic and for long stretches you forget you are watching a cartoon at all. It is a dazzling treat. And then a review from Variety that says there is much to admire in Hunchback, not the least the risk of doing such a downer of a story at all. And also saying the new film should further secure Disney's dominance in animation and connoisseurs of the genre, old and young, will have plenty to savor. I'm going to take back everything I said from before because that is also a positive review. It was also widely accepted in France as well, which is definitely a great accolade to have when you're making a movie based on essentially an entire city. There's a lot of confusion about different elements in this movie that attempt to be very serious, such as the themes of redemption, sin, and genocide, um, and as well as the themes of love and acceptance. It's a very sophisticated kid movie. I mean, the entire song that Frollo sings, Hellfire, is about how much he wants to do things to Esmeralda and oh. if she doesn't comply she wants her to burn in hell essentially so we have those very serious parts of the films and then we have these gargoyles who are the comedic elements of the film and they sing the song called guy like you and it starts off with the gargoyle saying yeah Paris is on fire but we're just gonna sing this happy little song some parts of it don't add up, I will agree. I think the latter end of the movie is not the strongest, but if okay. you stick through, 
I do find <laughs> that the themes really just do come out in the end, and you have to watch the entire movie in order to truly understand you it. You have to. You really do. <laughs> What's also really shocking to me, and I know I couldn't really find any comments on this, but I know that this is something that I've heard on podcasts. This movie has a lot of religious overtones. We're not going to call them undertones. First off, this movie takes place at a cathedral. The archdeacon is the main character of the film. In the book, Claude Frollo is the archdeacon there's a song called god help the outcast another song called heaven's light another song called hellfire a lot of the song includes gregorian or latin chants so i'm really shocked that a movie like this was able to be made what i find even more interesting is that the songs are done by alan menken and stephen schwartz who are two very jewish men and they're writing very religious christian songs uh songs like bells of notre dame out there heaven's light hellfire like i just said i really do think show that it is alan menken's best work which he agrees he thinks it is his best score the underlying score is also incredible the song out there is my favorite disney song of all time and when we <laughs> consider the idea of an i want song this song just screams an i want song and anytime i hear this i'm one it's just it, it, it's a very propelling, like, moving forward song, and the animation matches up with it. I think it is just a gem of animation for those three and so minutes. Another fun fact, or two fun facts that I found very interesting, is that new software had to be created for the crowd scene during the Festival of Fools. Hmm. It is very obvious that they copied and pasted the same people, though. The oh. 1996 version of copied and pasted. It's like and one of those Toy movies. Story uh, copying Andy type of things. Pretty much exactly the same thing, Yes. Also, the names of the gargoyles are very funny to me. So their names are Victor, Hugo, and Laverne. So Victor and Hugo after Victor and Hugo, or Victor Hugo, the author of the book. And then Laverne after Laverne Andrews of the Andrews Sisters, which were a singing group from the early 1900s. Okay. It just doesn't add up. You would think that they would pick some something with a Disney connection or another Victor Hugo connection. Mm -hmm. That's just them. All right. When it comes to Hunchback of Notre Dame in the parks, I think that their legacy is even smaller than Pocahontas <laughs> because at least Pocahontas And you're devastated to know <laughs> of course how am. they are portrayed. <laughs> at least Pocahontas lasted into the 2000s. I'm talking to Shaddam and possibly because of the religious overtones that it's just kind of awkward to have to put in to a park, possibly because of that, they don't last outside of the 90s. So characters from this movie are very rare to meet. You can definitely meet them in Paris because it is obviously a French uh, film in France. I did get to meet Esmeralda and Clopin during a DVC event in 2018. Ooh, well, look at you. <laughs> I waited two and a half hours to meet them. It was one of the highlights of my life. I'm not joking. <laughs> I about flipped out <laughs> when I saw Esmeralda. I know that I, at the time, was 19. And I, I know that I, you know, I've grown up a lot since then. Still, I was just so happy to see Esmeralda. She looked so much like herself. I was so happy. Uh, Attraction-wise, Disneyland featured the Hunchback of Notre Dame Festival of Fools show from 1996 to 1998. And this was in Big Thunder Ranch, which is now where Star Wars Land is located. So this is an extension of Frontierland, which I think is one of the oddest places to put this show. I'm surprised they didn't put it in their Fantasyland theater. They must have had been using that space for something else at the time. Disney World and Hollywood Studios at the Backlot Theater, this show, The Hunchback of Notre Dame Musical Adventure, replaced the Pocahontas show. This did last for a significant amount of time, 1996 to 2002. It followed the more upbeat part of the story. And then once this 
show closed. There's nothing really permanent in that theater. There were some Star Wars events and then the theater was then destroyed when they were building Star Wars land in Star or Galaxy's Edge. Yes. So a big space that they could have been using. They did use it for a time for Frozen, the Frozen sing-along before they migrated to where they are now. Paris had the Carnival Fools Parade from 1996 to 1997, and then they also had a Festival of Fools show. Hong Kong, this is probably my favorite reference because it continues to exist. It's Clopin's Festival of Foods, oh. which is a quick service <laughs> restaurant in Fantasyland. I just love that this is the most obscure reference that they could include to a Disney movie. And you uh -huh. know that whatever Imagineer was in charge of this project had to have a special love for Hunchback that they put that in there because they were it's thinking just so of random. You. I, you know, when I go to Hong Kong, I will make a point of taking a picture in front of this quick service place. I don't think it serves anything remotely French. I think it's, um, not. it's actually more like American food. Yeah. So the Hunchback of Notre Dame today, unfortunately, does not get that much love as I had said that I think it should. I really hope my passion is, is showing through. I think this movie- Oh, I can't because, say it is. <laughs> because this movie airs on the more mature side, every time I watch this movie, I find something new. It's a very layered story and there's just so much to unpack that I really want everyone to enjoy. And I also want you all to enjoy the Hunchback of Notre Dame musical soundtrack. So this musical, Started. Here she goes <laughs> as she sings. <laughs> oh, start no. So this movie, not movie. This musical started playing in San Diego at La Jolla Playhouse in 2014, and it then went to Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. And most shows that are debuting, or I guess secondary debuting in this case, at the Paper Mill Playhouse do make their way to Broadway, and this show did not. And I just think that's a travesty because this show and all of its actors were so robbed of Tonys all around. Al Menken was robbed of a best original score. <laughs> Michael Arden deserved best actor. There should have been best direction, Patrick Page, best supporting actor. This is like, a hill that so... Michaela will die on. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We got additional songs like Rest and Recreation, Someday, which actually played over the credits. Um, a band called All for One recorded and then also Bette Midler for some reason made of stone and then the finale which is 10 minutes long and absolutely gorgeous everyone needs to see it i saw a production of it which there are some productions that are done where they make quasimodo deaf because this mu this musical at least mm -hmm. tries to be more representative of the book as much as it can so it makes judge claude frodo into back into archdeacon claude frollo his brother is actually the father of Qu quasimodo which is brought in from the books as well. Other elements are brought in. And then the other fact is that Quasimodo is deaf because he has been the bell ringer for all these years living in oh. the bell tower and has gone deaf from the bells. That so some productions of the show, not the original runs, but some productions have had Quasimodo as a deaf actor signing the entire show, which I encourage you to look on YouTube for videos of this because it's incredible. And the version that I saw they tried to show that he had a speech impediment. Now he did sing, which in, mo in if you are going to do a version of this where he is deaf, usually he is not singing. The other characters are singing for him. But he did sign the last end of the finale and that just really <laughs> hit me. <laughs> and I will spend the rest of my life, everyone, preaching that this movie and musical needs to be more well-known. Well, I'm going to give you case. some... 
I'm going to give you some time to cool down and <laughs> I am going to transition. We are moving on to the next Renaissance era movie, which is Hercules. It came out in 1997. So one year before Michaela was born. I am going to take the description of the movie directly from Disney Plus because when I was researching, I, I just felt like I couldn't find a great synopsis that would do it justice. And then I just thought, why don't I go directly to the source? So, taken from the gods as a newborn and adopted on Earth, Hercules becomes an awkward teenage pillar of strength. While trying to fit in, he discovers that his dad is Zeus and he could live on Mount Olympus if he can move from zero to true hero. Hercules teams with babyhood pal Pegasus, the flying stallion, and Phil, a feisty personal trainer for the mission. But it's no easy task, as he must match wits with Grecian beauty Meg and a sinister hothead named Hades. With the help of comical sidekicks Pain and Panic, Hades plans to rule the universe with only Hercules standing in his way. I also just wanted to note that on the Disney website, they do say, note, contains tobacco depictions. So if you are watching this film and you feel that you need to censor, please, please consider that. But it is rated G. So I also wanted to include some fun quotes from the film before I go on to talk more about the history and some of its reception. At one point, Hades says, it's a small underworld after all. And of course he is parroting both the ride and the song, It's a Small World. And there's also a point where Meg calls Pain and Panic a couple of rodents looking for a theme park, which is alluding to Mickey Minnie and the Disney parks. I haven't watched this movie in recent memory, but I think I'm going to just, I always enjoy watching movies from you know, this time so I can pick up on things that maybe I did not notice as a little kid. And I, I don't think my five-year-old self would have caught on to a couple of rodents looking for a theme park. So according to fandom.com, the reception of Hercules was actually, it underperformed expectations during its theatrical release. It took in $252 million at the box office worldwide. And I guess for them, they're saying this is really not a lot of money. This was mainly due to competition from other studios. Though Hercules did not match its predecessors, it did receive positive reviews, but unfortunately Hercules has, you know, over the years become one of Disney's more forgotten films, mainly due to its poor box office performance. And in the movie, so Hercules' parents are Zeus and Hera. But in the ancient Greek myth, Hercules is the son of Zeus and a mortal earthborn woman, Alcamini. Alcamini and her husband do actually appear in the Disney's film, but it's more so as his foster parents, not his actual parents. And this, along with Disney taking definite ample liberties and exaggerations with the Greek myth, you really should not be taking this film as the actual mythological story of Hercules. So if you are into Greek myths or maybe you're taking an English course in this, you are going to learn more that it's not the exact thing. But Michaela, did you end up taking any Greek mythology courses in college or is there something that you know more about the history of the quotation marks wheel Hercules? Yes, so I did take a mythology course and surprisingly uh -huh. we didn't talk about this. But what I do remember is being in sixth grade and we did kind of a 
I forgot what the term for it is, but when you do a connection between one class and the other. So we were learning about ancient Greece and Greek mythology in social studies. And then we were reading the lightning piece in ELA. Thank you. Interdisciplinary. And I became obsessed with Greek mythology and we, in one of those classes, can't remember which one, we talked about the real Hercules myth. And Hercules is actually the Roman version of his name. Herac or Heracles, H-E-R-A-C-L-E-S, is what the Greek version would be. And yeah. I thinking that was very interesting. And my teacher saying at the time, you know, the Hercules movie is very much not a representation of the myth at all. And then having us watch the movie, which is the first time I'd ever seen it, and thinking, this does not add up. So anyway, <laughs> the fact that his name in general is not correct is definitely something I find incredibly interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. So back to some interesting facts, Danny DeVito was said to have really different mouth shapes, which captured the interest of animator of an animator. And when they were videotaping his recordings, they really thought that the way Danny DeVito animated himself, that they needed to put that into the film. So if you pay attention, you're going to see Phil kind of moving about or exaggerations with his mouth. That's why I kind of think like, if you Google this character, you can kind of see some Danny DeVito characteristics. So it's, it's, it's literally, I shouldn't say literally, it's very similar to Danny DeVito. And they really thought a lot of how he was portraying the character to incorporate that into the production. So the songs featured in Hercules are written by the famed Alan Menken and Michaela, I need your help. Is this David Zippel? Yes. Zippel? Zippel. The only other things that I know him from is he did do the music for Mulan and then he did the music for the City of Angels musical and that's all I'm aware that he is Okay, yeah, his name for. is new to me. It's also necessary to note that this is actually Alan Menken's last project within the Disney Renaissance era movies, so we're not likely going to be mentioning him much further. The anthem of the movie is Go the Distance and that was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The film was also nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song, and actually both awards lost to Titanic's My Heart Will Go On. I want to pause here. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think Titanic's My Heart Will Go On deserved those awards over Go the Distance? What do you think? As someone who was very obsessed with the Titanic in middle school, I am going to have to <laughs> say that My Heart Will Go On is the better song. For sure. Which Celine doesn't Dion. Yeah, does not diminish at all the fact that Go the Distance is an incredible Disney song and also a favorite of mine, but I do think that My Heart Will Go On is a bit more iconic. Mm -hmm. So Hercules in the Parks. It has been pretty hard to find any signs of it in recent memory. In 1998, there was a Hercules Victory Parade, and it has since ceased. There are no rides dedicated to the film. And you know, every once in a while you might come across some merch in the parks, but there's not going to be designated displays necessarily. But early on, soon after the film came out, there were more regularly set meet and greets with the characters to promote the movie. And of course, over time, those diminished, just, it just goes off of the popularity of the film. And through my research, if you Google Hercules in the Disney parks, it, <laughs> I don't know. When you think of the character of Hercules, the men that are that were portraying Hercules, at least in these pictures that I have seen, don't really add up to the character. But I did see some Meg characters, and they looked very on point. Sometimes characters might make an appearance at the end of Disney's Hollywood Studios Fantasmic show, 
and Megan Hades had been seen during the ticketed Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween party. Hercules today, again, it's not featured in the parks as often as maybe some that are big fans of Hercules may like. It is on Disney Plus, so you can help bring the film more life by watching it. I wouldn't say it's completely underrated. I wouldn't say it's completely, <laughs> definitely not overrated. I do enjoy the soundtrack. Ariana Grande helped bring a new wave of fans when she performed I Won't Say I'm In Love on the Disney Family Sing-Along in 2020. She went so hard for the filming of that. Did you see the, the, the video? She was using a statue. She was dressed in purple. Like she did all of this. She, the part of the song where the, what are they called? The ladies that are singing. The muses. The muses. They're using, they're holding up pillars. Well, and they're singing and they're all different ways that they cut to the characters in the background. Well, Ariana was doing that. She performed the same thing probably four or five times to get those those parts and it has millions and millions of views on YouTube. So that's Hercules. I don't I enjoyed watching it. It's not a movie that I think is going to hit I guess fans as much as Frozen has or the Toy Story series over time. But it's an it's a feel good movie in my opinion. What do you think? I think feel good is a really good way to describe it. I mean, personally, not one of my favorites. I do know a lot of people that do find it to be your favorite. I think it's a fun movie to watch. In 1998, the year I was born, Disney released the movie Mulan. It is from an ancient Chinese poem called The Ballad of Mulan. The movie synopsis is that after the Huns break into China, one male member of each family is required to join the army. Mulan's father father is old and not physically fit so Mulan wanting to bring honor to her family in a way other than marrying a man dresses up as a man and joins the army along the way she starts developing feelings for the general Li Shang ultimately her secret is found out but that doesn't stop her from saving China now I know that there are so many people that love this movie and absolutely adore Mulan and I think she is a great role model this movie just has never been my cup of tea and I think that's Mm -hmm. because I did not grow up watching this movie I really don't remember watching this movie until I was about 16 which is kind of ironic because you know it's the year I came out I was born but I truly I don't know if you remember seeing it in movie theaters at all I remember seeing it on Disney Channel okay I I know that critically this movie is loved by a lot of people but honestly I was kind of shocked to see some of the reviews so Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times gave Mulan three and a half stars out of four. He said that Mulan is an impressive achievement with a story and treatment ranking with Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. So he really has high praise for this movie. And then um, from the Chicago Tribune, a guy named Gene Siskel described the film as a big disappointment when compared with the studio's other recent films about a female hero searching for independence. He was further critical of Mulan's characterization in comparison to Ariel and Belle and claimed the design of the film does not take advantage of the inspiration provided by classic Chinese artists and the songs are not memorable. Now, you're not going to please everyone. Yeah, you're definitely not going to please everyone. I can kind of agree that the animation doesn't really do anything special, especially when you come off of a movie like The Hunchback of Notre Dame that did have some, um, that did have some technical innovations. This movie isn't really known for that necessarily. Song-wise, the uh, songs were done by David Zippel and Matthew Wilder. I've never heard of Matthew Wilder outside of this movie, mm-hmm. but like we said, David Zippel did the movie music for Hercules. 
And I'll Make a Man Out of You is arguably one of the most memorable <laughs> Disney songs. You just say, let's get down to business and everyone has to finish the, that lyric with <laughs> To Defeat the Huns, regardless of whether or not you've seen this movie before. I can agree that the other songs like Honor to Us All, Reflection, I think it's called A Girl Worth Fighting For. Yeah, A Girl Worth Fighting For. <laughs> See, it's not even memorable enough for me. Definitely don't rank up with other Disney songs versus you mm. have movies like, uh, music like, Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast or every single song is just this memorable song. Right. What really surprised me is that China delayed the release of this film by a year. I think they were very skeptical about if the hmm. movie would reflect them in a positive light. And the Chinese have actually complained about the movie not being similar to the myth. Now, I have not read the myth or a translation of it. No. So I can't say one way or another if I think that it has an equal translation, but I'm obviously to them, they know the myth better than any of us would. So they have to be right there. Something else to consider is that Mulan is considered in the Disney princess line, even though she's not from royal descent. She's one of the very few princesses. I believe Pocahontas is considered to be an official Disney princess, even though her father is a chief and she's not a princess. So that's something interesting to consider. Semantics, yes. one thing that is really cool in terms of Disney history is that this is the first feature-length animated film to be produced at Disney Feature Animation in Florida. So Disney MGM Studios was created not just as a theme park, but as an actual movie studios. And they did have a feature animation building. They produced Mulan, Lilo and Stitch, and Brother Bear there, as well as a lot of shorts. They pro- pro- uh, provided a lot of the animation for movies like Beauty and the Beast and uh mom remembers watching them work on Beauty and the Beast. They did a lot for Hunchback and they did a lot for Mickey Mouse shorts that came out around this okay. time. But Mulan is the first one that they were really given authority over during that time. So maybe that might be why we have differences. Or Possibly. Maybe, that, maybe that's just why it, this movie sticks out is just being a little different from all the other ones because it wasn't done by the same, I guess, team of people is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. I understand. All right, so if you if you were to go to Disney Hollywood Studios now and you see Star Wars Launch Bay, which is just an eyesore in my opinion, that used to be Disney Disney Animation. That was, I forgot the exact term for it, but it was basically like the show building for you would be able to peek in and see them animating. But behind there is a four-story building that they designed specifically for the animators. And unfortunately, okay. they closed it after Brother Bear. It, the building is still there. It's used as offices, but it is... Dad used to buy cells over there. Yes, yes. The store, yeah, I definitely remember that store. They had a lot of Oscars that Walt Disney had won um, specifically in there. So Mulan in the Parks possibly has the least representation (laughs) out of all of these movies. What do you mean? Hercules. Oh, that's true. Hercules is definitely the least. (laughs) So Mulan's probably number two. Or actually Hunchback. Well, all of these are... (laughs) (laughs) So Disneyland in 1998 to 1999 had a Mulan parade at night, which is pretty cool because most of these other movies have been during the day california adventure had a chinese new york cavalcade in 2004 i think it's kind of odd for california to have the california adventure park but teach their own and then they still have a mulan lunar new year procession i have seen a lot of pictures of mulan meets with mushu during the month of january around this time every year hollywood studios in 1998 also had a mulan parade you can still meet mulan at the china pavilion epcot a very purposeful apps place for her to be Disney Paris had the most representation of this movie for at least the longest amount of time from 1999 to 2002 they had a show called 
Mulan the Legend, or in their language, something different. And this was a show featuring 50 acrobats and jugglers that tell the story of Mulan, which I think is such an intricate and specific way to tell this story, mm-hmm. but I would have loved to see that. Shanghai Disneyland being in China, even though Shanghai Disney was opened way after this movie came out, definitely is going to have the most, or at least the most consistent and long-lasting representation obviously it's only been open for a few years so that stands to time but we shall see the gardens of imagination which is an area just around their hub that features a character for each animal the chinese zodiac does have mushu for the year of the dragon as one of their Mm -hmm. pictures and then they have a ride called voyage of the crystal grotto that goes inside their castle on the outside and it takes you through a number of scenes from different disney animated movies and mulan is one of them which absolutely makes sense so Mulan today is probably more well-known, especially to a lot of our listeners, as in 2020, the Mulan live-action film came out. Now, neither of us yeah. have seen that. Yeah, I know you... I, well, not. I just, I'm not a live-action film person. I'm actually not a movie person either. <laughs> so, but, so it's just not up my alley, per se, because it does meet both of those credentials. So maybe eventually in my lifetime. What about you? I, yeah, I'm probably in eventually as well. I definitely would not have seen this movie if they kept it on the premiere access where you had to pay for yes. it on Disney Plus. I just it did come off of it, but it's still not. Yeah, I, if they had kept it, I definitely would not have uh, spent the money to see it just because one, like I said, Mulan is definitely not a favorite movie of mine, which a lot of my friends, it is their favorite Disney movie or one of, and it just doesn't do it for me. I find myself to be really bored. And I really do think that comes down to nostalgia. I think I didn't grow up watching this movie nearly as much as anything else. And it just hasn't excited me in that way that it does for other people. So for me, I don't really want to watch the live action movie, which doesn't have music, which for what I've been told, it's a lot of action scenes, which I watch movies that have limited action scenes and a lot of music. So (laughs) this movie isn't really going to do for me what a lot of other movies do. But, you know, we're going to move on to the last movie of the Disney Renaissance era that I have to say is my favorite from the second half. It is Tarzan and it came out in 1999. Tarzan's parents are shipwrecked on an island and are unfortunately killed by Sabor, the cheetah. Tarzan is taken in by Kala, a gorilla who has recently lost her own child and raised as one of the apes, but he is unaccepted by Kala's husband, Kerchek. Once he has grown up, a gorilla study expedition by Archimedes, his daughter, Jane, and accompanied by Clayton, meet and are intrigued by Tarzan, who they think is, the quotation marks, the missing link between gorillas and humans. Clayton just wants to hunt the gorillas, but Jane finds them fascinating and soon finds herself falling in love with Tarzan, who is equally in love with her. Worldwide, Tarzan the movie made $448.2 million, which in comparison to other films, I would say did pretty well. What do you think? Definitely. I I was going to say, I think it beat out the last, almost every movie that we have talked about during this time, which is pretty I'm incredible sorry, I beat out hunchback it's okay <laughs> tarzan is my number two favorite disney movie for all of you okay. just so you're aware so it is my number one favorite soundtrack i do oh, have absolutely. to say phil collins this is our phrase <laughs> phil collins didn't have to go that hard but he did and i'm very grateful that he did i remember having the cd to this 
driving around in Nana's Volkswagen and we would put it in and we would listen to the soundtrack. It was just so good. So Tarzan in the Parks in Disney's Animal Kingdom in Walt Disney World from 1999 to 2006, there was a performance called Tarzan Rocks that took place in the theater in the wild. It was basically a rock show that also had some acrobatics and skating stunts from Tarzan, Jane and Turk. Now, Michaela, I, I really don't know if we went to this. Do you have any recollection? I don't. And I texted Patrick, our brother, if you guys haven't caught on, I texted Patrick because I am very upset that I don't remember this. And he definitely does remember. I don't know if maybe he went and you didn't, but I would have loved to see this movie, this show. It just screams 90s. Like they were really just honing in (laughs) on the late 90s, especially with the, the skating stunts at the end. I would have adored this. So it makes me upset that I have not seen it. And oh, I will goodness. get to. We'll find a YouTube video. <laughs> I have. Because I also love the soundtrack. I think that, I know. well, Strangers Like Me is my second favorite Disney song. And Son of Man is also equally as energetic and entertaining. And if you just need to pump yourself up in the morning, play the soundtrack <laughs> and you certainly will be pumped up. Truly. So flying over to Disneyland, California, you can currently explore Tarzan's treehouse. By currently, I mean in a non-pandemic world as Disneyland California is currently closed. The description on the official Disney website made me laugh and it also made it seem like this is the most thrilling attraction that you have to go on so I wanted to read it here. Quote, your adventure begins as you clamber up a tree stump and cross a rope bridge high in the sky overgrown with vines and constructed out of parts salvaged from his tragic shipwreck. The treehouse features ingenious inventions and vignettes from Tarzan's epic life story. Peruse drawings from Jane's sketchbook that tell the tale of the young English lord who was marooned in the jungle, orphaned and raised by a tribe of gorillas. The tree's scientific name is Disney Dendron, Semper Florens Grandis, or large ever-blooming Disney tree. And some incredible views await you at the top. Explore the high life at this airy abode from a bygone time. Doesn't that sound just so, I don't even know. There's a lot of alliteration. There is a lot of visuals that I gained hyperbole laugh (laughs) but when you went to Disneyland did you go explore this I do know from I guess it's just from maybe TPM vids I'm not sure but they used to hide I think a paintbrush around and if you were one of the first am I wrong that's at Tom Sawyer's Island in Disney World Uh, okay (laughs) well scratch that everyone (laughs) Yes, I did go to see this. This was actually a top priority for me when I went to Disneyland, which I know it definitely is not because as everyone can probably guess if you're aware of anything about Disney, this is the most hyperbole, I don't know what the term for it is, but this is just such a grandiose description for an attraction that truly is not like this. So when we went, none of my friends that I went with wanted to go because you have to climb a lot to even get to anything resembling Tarzan at all no one wanted to go with me so one night we were waiting for the parade and we had a long time and I go does anyone mind if I just leave and go to Tarzan's treehouse and I went and I loved it I mean again you have to walk really high up to get to anything resembling Tarzan but you'll turn a corner and you'll go across a rope bridge and suddenly you see Jane and Tarzan I mean they're static figures not animatronics they do play a very cool uh version of the soundtrack and what 
I, number one, went there to see, which you can only see if you go up and down and finally land at the end, you can't go through the back to see, is an Easter egg from the movie that pops up also in the show. So for anyone that has been, has seen the trash in the camp scene where all the gorillas go and trash where Clayton and Jane and Archimedes are staying, Turk starts playing drums with a spoon on a set of teapot chinaware that's Mrs. Yes. Potts and Chip. It doesn't have their face, but it's definitely their coloring and likeness. Yes. And in Tarzan's treehouse at the very end, once you go to the very bottom, it's the camp or all the things that would have been at the camp that are now at Tarzan's treehouse because, you know, now Jane and Tarzan are married and it all lives there. <laughs> and there is a Mrs. Potts and a Chip sitting there. I love and that. It is so freaking adorable. I will attach a picture in the show notes so that everyone can see because that was something that I made a point to stop and see. Very nice. In another Disneyland over in Paris on April 1st, 2000. And from my research, this performance seems to be, it was kind of like a Cirque du Soleil show that focuses on Tarzan in terms of being, you know, it's a very visual performance. Yes, it has the soundtrack, but there's a lot of movement here. It closed in 2008. It came back briefly in 2011 and it shuttered its doors for good in 2012. Shanghai Disney also has an acrobatic performance called Tarzan Call of the Jungle. It is in Mandarin. It's a high energy retelling of the film using musical performance. And I, I, you know, I have not been able to find out if this attraction is still there. I've done my research and doesn't seem to be a closing date and there doesn't seem to be a lot of information on the Shanghai website. So that is still up in the air. Tarzan today, it is another Disney Plus movie. I teach first graders. They do know Tarzan. They don't know all the characters, but they do know the movie. So they have seen it at some point, most of them. And you can sporadically meet Tarzan and Jane in the parks, usually in Animal Kingdom, usually during a ticketed event. They don't necessarily have like their own float but they are there. They're kind of hidden every once in a while. And that concludes all of the movies in the Disney canon considered the Disney Renaissance. But moving on, I know Michaela has seen these movies, the sequels. I have not seen any sequel to any of these movies. So I'm just going to pass the baton over to you. Okay, so really briefly, each of these movies does have at least one sequel. Every movie from the Disney Renaissance actually does have a sequel now that I think about it, which is kind of crazy, except Rescue Down Under is the sequel. So Pocahontas has Pocahontas 2 Journey to a New World, where they kind of try to rectify the historical inaccuracies from the movie. So they have her go to England that she does marry John Rolfe. It's very awkward because she does encounter John Smith at one point, And it's one of those, like, what are you doing here? And who are you with? It's an odd film. Then we have, after that, The Hunchback from Notre Dame 2, which I think is the worst Disney sequel ever made. First of all, the animation is absolutely atrocious and they try to give Quasimodo a love interest, which I thought was such a great part of the first movie was to say that not everyone needs to be in love to have a happy ending. And this movie kind of backtracks on that theme. Then we have, after that, Hercules has Hercules Zero to Hero, which is really just a combination of a few episodes from the TV show, Hercules Zero to Hero, which I did try to watch uh-huh. in Disney Plus, but uh, wasn't exactly for me. It's kind of like Hercules going through training. Like it's like a mid-quel to the movie. Mulan has Mulan 2, which I again thought was so like breaking the whole mold of the first movie because Mulan 
she does find love in Lee Shang towards the end it's kind of suggested that they're going to get married and suddenly the whole second movie is just her talking to these three girls who are supposed to be sent off to get married and she's in a way kind of encouraging them through like they're being sold into marriage essentially and I thought that was just a very odd way to go about it and then lastly mm-hmm. Tarzan has what I also think is a ridiculous sequel or just unnecessary I mean all of them are unnecessary but Tarzan 2 is a midquel that takes place pretty much entirely during the song Son of Man which Son of Man was a montage for a reason we didn't need to see what happened and it's him trying to find his place in the world which I kind of thought Kahlo already solved for him by the whole handprint situation so that was weird and then they had a movie that was the I guess prequel or predecessor to their TV show is called Tarzan and Jane which was okay if you you know accept that it's supposed to be a TV show like you know they made a little mermaid TV show and Aladdin TV show and you just kind of like accept that they're not exactly supposed yeah. to be as top quality so I don't necessarily suggest you watch any of these the <laughs> one that I found to be the most palpable at least or palatable was Pocahontas 2 Journey to a New World and even then not a highlight and I don't think we mentioned this entirely there are sequels to all of the movies that we mentioned in the first part Mm -hmm. and in terms of those the Little Mermaid 2 journey uh, or Return to the Sea is a pretty good sequel. The only one I know is the Little Mermaid 2 because they introduced Melody. Yes Melody. That's all I got. And Beauty and the Beast the Enchanted Christmas also a a good choice. (laughs) (laughs) You can find Michaela fangirling out about Beauty and the Beast, the Christmas special in our Christmas episode of Very Merry Disney <laughs> Christmas. Yes. Yes, indeed. So now so, this question is posed. Are these movies as worthy of being a part of the Disney Renaissance as the other movies that we talked about in part one? What do you think? I know that, well, the reason why I wanted to talk about this question is just because I addressed at the beginning of the first episode how a lot of people will say that the Disney Renaissance ended with The Lion King. And I just don't think that's true. I uh, can agree that the success of the movies, you know, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King definitely far surpasses these movies in terms of box office successes. But I think it's hard to look at how much money Tarzan made and say, oh, that doesn't deserve to be a part of all these movies. Because especially when you consider the movies that came out after Tarzan, just to give everyone a reference, are Dinosaur, Katie's husband's favorite movie, The Emperor's New Groove. Uh, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, movies that have kind of just have their cult following. Tom is going to text me after he listens to this explaining like a dissertation of why Emperor's New Group is a Disney Renaissance movie. We'll have to put him on. Also Fantasia 2000 came out right after this. I I just don't think that any of those movies, I think that definitely, Fantasia 2000 is one that came out right after Tarzan. I think that definitely signifies an end. I, I think that movie definitely could not be grouped in. But I I really do think, may, I, I'm definitely biased because I love Punchback and I love Tarzan, but I really do think that those movies in terms of technological achievement, in terms of animation, mm-hmm. voice acting, music, overall, I think those movies really do a great job in comparison to the other movies. I think that they are, I think they're equal. Is there yes, such thing as a Disney Pixar renaissance? Because you think about, we have the Toy Story series, we have Monsters, Inc. We have, are the Incredibles Pixar also? Mm-hmm. We have Finding Dory, Finding Nemo, all of those movies. Cause though, could those be considered or is there a name for that? Or is it just post-renaissance or we don't have a name for it? 
I don't really think there's a name for it. I think the Disney Renaissance definitely has the history and the name that it does because they were 30 films in at that point into the Disney canon. And they're just, they're very distinct ages in terms of those movies. I think there's definitely a series of movies. So a specific time of Pixar movies that were considered the best. I know Brave, Cars 2, Monsters University, The Good Dinosaur all came out pretty much around the same time and are not considered to be top-notch Pixar movies, unfortunately. Monsters Um, University is not? Not necessarily by most people. We can definitely do an episode on this. But I do think that the golden age, at least, of Pixar movies was the first first ones, which is Toy Story, Toy Story 2, Bugs Life, Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo. I definitely think that those five are the top Disney Pixar movies. Wow. We'll have to discuss this at another episode. I'm very interested. So what do you think? Do you think that they're also that these movies are worthy you know I I guess in my mind I can I do consider them classics I don't think they don't deserve to be up there I I do enjoy them but I think that there are just such inconsistencies of their representation in the Disney parks and in my Mm -hmm. opinion Mm -hmm. the Disney parks are like the face of Disney and you only I guess in some ways you go there and expect to see the best of the best or all of your favorites and not necessarily are all the favorites being represented. So Mm -hmm. you would think that if these movies were so significant to the Disney company, they would be uh, better represented in many ways. And you don't just ask, you don't see Tarzan and Jane necessarily. Um, So there are, and Hercules, you don't see Meg and, and Hercules so you know or the rescuers down under in my opinion should Tarzan and the rescuers down under be in this wrapped in the same category no, no. but maybe in <laughs> others so I think it's just kind of a mixed bag of I guess it just comes down to the way Disney represents all these movies it sh- it really shows what's most important to Disney when you go to the Disney parks and you see which characters are out and about you see the mm-hmm. rides you see the meet and greets you see the cavalcades they're doing you see the shows and the projections they have so I don't know that's where I, I definitely stand. I like the word significance that you use because when we think of significant Disney movies Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King are definitely significant Disney movies. The Little Mermaid definitely a significant Disney movie. Yes. But in terms of the overall history, Mulan is getting shoved on the wayside. It is not really? anything. And I, I'm I not trying to, to bring it back. To be, right. And I don't mean to say this to damper anyone's like spirits that love these movies, but in the overall grand scheme of the, we're almost at 60 movies that Disney has made. Mulan is not, Mulan and, Pocahontas and those movies from that we've just discussed are definitely not considered the most significant Disney movies of all time that have done something to really either change the company in some way or bring about a new t- form of technology. They're just not there. That's fair. So with that, that concludes our two-part deep dive into the Renaissance era. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and we would also appreciate any comments that you may have. And we'll see you next week. Bye guys. Bye.